I appreciate Pastor Billy. It's, it's, uh, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, so I can say that. This is the one time in the year I say that publicly. <laughs> I told Pastor Lowell that um, since it's Pastor Appreciation Month, I'd be glad to take him uh, one, of these, one of these weeks during this month, take him to lunch over at Chick-fil-A after service. And he uh, didn't really appreciate that. I didn't understand what the problem was with, with that. Glad I didn't have to give you time for that joke. That was good. You guys are, you guys are awake. Good to hear. I know most of you in here, but there have been a lot of new faces lately. So I've not met everybody, I don't think, that's in the room right now. So uh, my name is Brent, and uh, I'm one of the missionaries that are, that's supported by uh, this church. And uh, we have a ministry to the political community in Maryland. And uh, we've been doing that for about eight years now. But we also worship here. This is also our, our uh, church that we're at uh, week in, week out if we're not speaking somewhere else or, or meeting with, with other folks uh, during, during church time. So I appreciate the opportunity to come and, and uh, share God's word this morning. When Pastor Lowell asked me to, um, to speak this, uh, this week, um, you know, he's, uh, Lowell's preaching through Daniel right now, the book of Daniel. Uh, I wanted to find something that might, uh, just in my own mind, supplement what I've been hearing out of Daniel and, uh, and maybe uh, bring something to us this morning that would give us a little bit more understanding of that book, a little different background, and, um, and, and make application to our world today as well. So I started looking at a little book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. And I'm wondering if you take your Bible and turn there right now. Book of Lamentations. You'll find it near the middle of your Bible. If you, if you look in the middle of your Bible and you come around uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, those are a couple of big books, longer books. Just go to the right of Jeremiah, one book, and you'll find Lamentations. It's just a little five-chapter book of the Bible. And I can't remember the last message I heard out of Lamentations. I mean, you can tell by the name it's not a real happy place to be in the Bible. I guess I studied it in Bible college in a class we had on uh, Old Testament Hebrew poetry. But you just don't hear a lot of messages out of Lamentations, and after spending some time with it the last couple of weeks, I think I know why. It's an absolutely horrific book. With the exception of about five or six verses that are uplifting, the rest of the book is absolutely ground level, 50 feet of garbage below that, and go down a little bit more, and then you'll find the emotional level of Lamentations. Terrible. It's terrible what was going on. The author of Lamentations was uh, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a little older than Daniel, but they were contemporaries. So the things that we are reading this morning uh, give us background of what was going on uh, during the time period that we're studying now in uh, the series that Pastor Lowell is doing in Daniel. Uh, just to back up, give us a little bit of reference again. 
You'll remember that uh, the nation of Israel was divided, right? Uh, after they had a few kings, Saul, David, Solomon, then there was a divided kingdom. In the north was Israel, and in the south was Judah. Israel, the northern kingdom, was destroyed in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. But God gave a little more time to Judah because there were some better, more obedient kings in Judah, but there were also some kings mixed in who continued to follow other gods and serve the gods of the world. But God gave about a hundred years to Judah of warning and of examples of what would happen to them. The same thing that happened to the northern kingdom. And Jeremiah was a part of those warnings, those prophecies, letting the people know, if you do not turn, if you do not repent, you will end up like Israel to the north. And you can read about those warnings in the book of Jeremiah. So the Babylonians attacked and laid siege to Jerusalem. And eventually Judah fell in 586 B.C. And that's when Daniel and his friends were taken into exile. Remember that? Beginning of the book of Daniel. And then the rest of Daniel, at least to where we've come in the series, Babylonians were in charge and now uh, the Persians are in charge as you move through that book. But the book of Lamentations, written by Jeremiah, it's a difficult one to study and to read and to think about, but it does have application for us today, and I do want us to think about that as we move through this book. We'll cover part of the book today. I do better with just a passage of Scripture and just move through it, but uh, I can't cover all of the book in one morning. But we'll just parachute in on a few verses uh, to give us an idea of what's happening here and how we can uh, make some applications to us today. So, are you there? Lamentations. Chapter 1, verse 1. Just want you to make note of the first word of chapter 1. Turn to chapter 2, verse 1. Take a look at the first word. Turn to chapter 4. Verse 1. Take a look at the first word. And that word is 1, 2, 3. How? This word right here is an expression of dismay. And it lays the groundwork for this entire book and sets the mood and the tone of what Jeremiah is trying to express. Back to chapter 1. How lonely since the city that was full of people. How like a widow she became, who was great among the, the nations. Chapter 2, how the Lord in His anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. Chapter 4, how the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The first thing we see 
in Lamentations is that Jeremiah grieved for his nation. Jeremiah grieved for his nation. And as we look around America, it's not hard to make the application to us today that we live in a culture that is walking away from God and has been doing it for many years, rejecting God, removing Him from every corner of society. And as we see that, we grieve. We do what we can to stop the trends or to at least slow them down. But you have to agree, the trajectory is not good. The trend is downward. And we can just as easily use that word, how, can't we? when we look around and see what's happening in America. We could say how our leaders have made ungodly laws and our people have approved it. How we have forgotten what the founders put in our documents and what they intended and the reverence that they had for Creator God. How we have elevated our personal good over considering the good of other people how our educators have hijacked God's truth for an agenda of godless ideology. How America celebrates erotic liberty over religious liberty. How America has torpedoed God's design for marriage and the family. So we say how just like Jeremiah, and in dismay, and shake our heads as we look around us. And we have reason to do that. And Jeremiah shows us that it's okay to grieve and be heartbroken over your nation's direction. I don't want to draw direct lines from the Old Testament to America because God didn't make a covenant with America. He made a covenant with Israel. But there are principles that are in this book that we can take a look at and we can apply to where our situation is right now in today's world. So Jeremiah's grief played out in a couple of different ways as we move through the rest of chapter 1. And as you get down to chapter 8, we see that, that this judgment that came upon Judah was a result of sin. Judgment is the result of sin. Verse 8, Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despised her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. She took no thought of her future. When individuals or nations walk away from God, they are focused on now. That's the nature of sin. You're not thinking about the future. You're not thinking about the consequences. You don't care about that. If we redefine marriage or we try to twist what God has designed and gender design, we don't really care where that would lead down the road. We haven't thought about that. It will create confusion. But we haven't thought about that and where it's going to go. That slippery slope. Seems right to us now. If we make bad economic decisions now, we don't have to pay for that today. 
We can have waste and fraud and not worry about that right now, but it will catch up with us. Judah took no thought of her future. Think America's thinking about her future? We are so, and when I say we, it's the collective we, all of us in America, as a nation, so focused on now and not thinking about our future. America has sinned grievously. Shouldn't religious leaders be there, though, to stop this kind of thing? To tell people to knock it off? To tell people that there is something down the road, there is a future, there is a consequence that you need to think about? Where were the religious leaders in Jeremiah's day? Verse 14. Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for your oracles that are false and misleading. I told you that I lead a ministry over in Maryland to the political community, and some of you will remember a couple years ago that the leaders in Maryland were considering a bill to pass um, same-sex marriage before it became federal law. And it was a big deal over there, and there were people that were trying to lobby one way or the other. And I can remember one state senator who pulled me aside in the hallway one day. This man doesn't know the Lord, but he knows that I teach the Bible. So he came up to me. He said, Brent, what, what does the Bible say about this issue? This morning, I had two pastors in my office, one after the other, one telling me that it's not God's design for marriage, and one telling me it's just fine if the two people are committed to each other. So which is it? I've got two men of faith that are sitting right in front of me giving me two completely different conclusions. And this was a confused legislator. At a time we did not need confusion. Pastors couldn't be depended on to give a right answer for that issue. I can remember sitting in the gallery the day that they voted in the House on that bill. And I can remember watching, they were still gathering around their desks on the floor before they were gaveled in, and one of the delegates... A, um, an openly gay lady came to her desk. I know that her pastor had lobbied for this bill. And this legislator came to her chair at her desk, and she took a minute, and she stood behind her chair. She closed her eyes. She raised her palms up. And you could see her moving her lips silently. She's praying. Invoking God to bless what he had clearly forbidden in Scripture. And she had heard from her pastor that same-sex marriage was a good idea and it needed to pass. And that bill did pass that day by one vote.
Our society is taking no thought of the future. And there is judgment that we're already under, and there will be more judgment, I'm afraid, coming for all of us if we as a nation and we as individuals do not repent. Well, judgment is a result of sin, but judgment also comes from God. Judgment comes from God. There was really good discussion this morning in the James uh, focus group. Really appreciated that. But as I listened to the things that were being said, it sure reminded me of, of what we were going to talk about this morning out of Lamentations. If you st- just starting at the beginning of chapter two, and you just let your eyes go down through a few verses in chapter two, you will see that verse after verse makes it clear that although Judah made their decision not to follow God. He was the one who brought about the judgment on them. I count at least 38 verbs in just that section of Scripture that are attributed to God, things that He did to Judah. Not that they did to themselves, but God did this in His judgment. Just start in verse 1. How the Lord in His anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. And he just keeps going on and on like that. So it's devastating destruction. When Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came to Jerusalem, their strategy was to surround the city and starve them out. And think about that for a minute. This siege of Jerusalem lasted 30 months before it fell. Two and a half years. No supplies coming in. If you tried to get away from the starvation, do you know what was waiting for you? Verse 21. In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. But you know what? Maybe that was the best way to go. If you look over chapter 4, real quick, verse 9. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by lack of the fruits of the field. But those aren't the worst verses in Lamentations. The worst verses have to do with what happened to children. Back in chapter 2, the end of verse 11, Infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city. As their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. Back to chapter 4, verse 10. It's a hard verse to read, but it's God's words here for us to learn from. But it shows the depth of God's judgment. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food. 
during the destruction of the daughter of my people. Parents, after their kids have died of starvation, cannibalizing their own family members. God is perfect. God is holy. God is different than anybody else. And he hates sin. He will always, always judge unrepentant sin. In individuals and whole cultures. And if we would only see sin the same way, or even come close, don't think we would grieve Him as we do. And this is why we pray for and warn our world around us. So they will repent. It's judgment on Judah, as bad as it was, the judgment that's on America right now and where we're headed, as bad as that is and will be, it's not the final judgment. There is a final judgment coming for those who do not repent. And that judgment will make lamentations look like a Saturday picnic. There is judgment coming, a final judgment. That is why we warn. That is why we pray. God hates sin and will always punish wrongdoers who do not turn to Him for forgiveness. Pastor Roger already said it this morning. We here at Centerpoint Bible Church point others to two things. Who? Jesus Christ and His Word. That's why we do this. Because God hates sin, and God is glorified in those who love Him and obey Him and follow Him. We want to see more of that. It's not going to happen if we stay silent about the truth that's here in His Word. So that's why we point people to Jesus Christ. We need to ask ourselves, do I need to repent? First of all, for salvation and a new life in Christ who died for us and rose again and is living now. Maybe you know the Lord but are following your own way right now. You need to repent of that and enjoy Him, not just to avoid judgment, but out of love for him. Albert Moeller wrote a book called He Is Not Silent. And in it he says, it's not enough to preach Christ without calling for belief and repentance. It's not enough to promise the blessings of heaven without warning of the threat of hell. It's not enough to preach salvation without pointing to judgment. Our world doesn't want to hear that. But some will turn if we're faithful to share it. So Jeremiah grieved, and secondly, we see that Jeremiah suffered along with his nation. Jeremiah suffered with his nation. Chapter 3, turn there, and again, we'll just kind of survey a lot of verses all here at once, but... 
just as the beginning of chapter 2 focused on the things that God did and gave verb after verb after verb of God's action in judging Israel, chapter 3 is different. Get a different feel here because Jeremiah now is talking about the things that happened to him. We start to see a lot of personal pronouns, 40 of them, in the first 24 verses of this chapter. This stuff happened to me. God's prophet, really personalizing the judgment that fell on him. He didn't leave. He stayed there with his people and suffered along with them the same judgment that he had been warning them about. Just picture a man walking around the streets, looking at at the rubble that's left with the smoke rising from this destruction. Dead bodies of adults and children just laying in the street. People he had worn for years and he suffered right along with them. Jeremiah suffered just about every way you can. Physically, mentally, emotionally. His ministry, desire, just is gone. And you can just jump in just about anywhere in this chapter and see that. Um, verse 16. He has made my teeth to grind on gravel. He has made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction, my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. These were medicinal ingredients that were really bitter. And if you ever see that in Scripture, the wormwood and the gall, it's just talking about experiences that are just so bitter to go through. Verse 20, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Jeremiah was a mess. Every part of his life was touched by the pain of Judah. And there are times where we're going to have warm wood and gall, okay? And a lot of you have gone through that, going through it right now, where life is bitter, and then we feel in us a bitterness rising up. Fighting bitterness is messy. It's hard. But we have to fight that fight. Our emotions are very powerful. But they're also deceptive. Jeremiah says some things in this chapter that I think as a man of God, he knows they're not true, but he's just expressing how he feels. And sometimes your feelings can't be trusted to say a truthful thing. You're saying how you feel, you're saying how it seems at the moment, right? And we can identify with these hard emotions, even though we may not have felt it as deeply as Jeremiah, but this is how his feelings seem to him. For example, verse 8, Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Now, is that phrase true, or did it just seem that way to Jeremiah? Let me encourage you not to stop praying for America going to feel like it's doing no good at all. People will tell you that your faith doesn't matter, and that it's misplaced. But we pray anyway, because we know that our battle is not with flesh and blood. 
It is a spiritual battle fought in heavenly realms by evil and good forces. We pray. Don't give up on that. There are days I drive back from Annapolis and I'm completely convinced I've done absolutely zero good. But I need to remember my call. And I need to keep going back and be faithful. So our feelings are real, but we can't rely on them to always tell us the truth. I'll tell you another thing I see as I look. It's actually what I don't see when I read chapter 3. And we see that Jeremiah was suffering with his people. It's what's not there. And Pastor Lowell touched on this idea a couple of weeks ago. When we speak truth to our culture, and then there's judgment for people who rebel against God or mock Him, we need to be really careful not to like it when they do go through consequences. Isn't that a part of our flesh? I told you so. I warned you. You got what's coming to you. You don't see anything like, the, like that here from Jeremiah. You might have heard the word that the Germans used to describe this. Schadenfreude. You've heard that word? It's a two-part word. The first part means harm. The second part means joy. Harm joy. Taking joy when somebody else goes through something difficult. And we as Christians do that. We have to be really careful about that. Jeremiah didn't do that. No schadenfreude with Jeremiah. In fact, he suffered right along with them. Even though he hadn't rebelled. He was God's prophet and he still wept for the destruction that Judah experienced. And when we see God's judgment on our nation, we can't take joy in that harm. So Jeremiah grieved and he suffered with his nation. The third thing is, Jeremiah hoped in God's character. Jeremiah hoped in God's character. We've come through three and a half chapters of gut-wrenching agony, and out of nowhere comes verse 21. But this I call to mind, <laughs> and therefore I have hope. That's verse 21. Verse 18, do you remember what Jeremiah was saying? My hope has perished. But this I call to mind, and it gives me hope. Well, I don't know about you. I want to know what this is. If there's hope in the middle of all this mess, I need to know what this is. What gave Jeremiah hope? Verse 22. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. We sang earlier, it's only by your blood. It's only through your 
mercy. Lord, I come. His mercies, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. There are a handful of verses in Lamentations that are uplifting. And they're right here. And these are the ones we usually hear. These are the ones we write songs about. Not so much the rest of the book. And they're rooted in God's character. Words like mercy, love, that He is good, faithful. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. We sang that this morning. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. When you do that, you seek Him, you inquire of Him, those are the people God is good to. Was God good to Jeremiah? I mean, there's some real questions here. You read Lamentations, and in the middle it says God's good. Was God good to Jeremiah? Was God good to Israel? Is God good to us when He puts us through something that we don't like? Or is inconvenient? Or painful? Or the person we vote for doesn't get elected? Is God good? Well, those are big questions. I think the key to answering them is to define good the way God defines good. Because we don't always do that the same way as God. Our definition looks a little different. God's definition of good is what glorifies Him. God is glorifying Himself. That's why He is good. It's in His character. He cannot not be good. You and I, uh, you and I need to stop doing something. You ready? We need to quit acting like we know what will bring God glory. You and I cannot possibly fathom what God's plans are for this nation or any other nation. There's no way we can know that. You think Jeremiah would have chosen the path God took Israel on if he could have? He sat in the middle of that rubble looking at the bodies of dead children in the street And he said, God is good. You and I have no clue what is the best path for America in God's providence. We don't know. And we need to stop acting like we do. 
We have no idea what will cause the gospel to grow in America. In today's world, the gospel is growing most in Iran. I heard this week that there are more Christians in China than members of the Chinese Communist Party. That did not happen because of human freedom. That did not happen because of the help of the government. That did not happen because of an election. God did that. In spite of all those things. Can't hold God back from doing what He wants to do. And it may not be what we would define as good. But God is good. In the middle of tragedy, God is good. He has His reasons. He sees eternity. We see a pin-sized dot on that line of time that is statistically zero when you compare it to eternity. God sees the whole picture. We have to trust Him for that. Now, we need to be involved in the process in America. And I thank God we have the freedom to be good citizens and to be informed and to speak up for righteousness and vote as we're led. But America's future path, contrary to popular opinion, is not up to the consent of the governed. It's up to the consent of the King of Kings. That's the only consent that matters in this. We have a responsibility to speak up. And we have that freedom in America, but still in chapter 3, look down in verse 37. You might want to write this on a note card and take it with you into the ballot box next month. Because this verse is true. Who has spoken? And it came to pass. Unless the Lord has commanded it. Do you believe the Lord commands a vote in a ballot booth and superintends what happens there? I like this quote by John Piper. We do not smirk at the misery or the merrymaking of an immoral culture. We weep, or we should. This is my main point. Being exiles, which we are, this is not our country. We're citizens of heaven. This is my main point. Being exiles does not mean being cynical. does not mean being indifferent or uninvolved. The salt of the earth does not mock rotting meat. Where it can, it saves and seasons. And where it can't, it weeps. And the light of the world does not withdraw, saying good riddance to godless darkness. It labors to illuminate, not to dominate. We're called to be lights, just as we read earlier from Philippians. We're lights in this world. A twisted, crooked generation we live in. It's Babylon. 
We're called to be Daniels in this Babylon. Standing up for what is right. But whatever happens in this election next month or the direction of America, we cannot question God's goodness or His control. Because they are just being screamed out from the Scriptures. And we can't deny them. When Babylon showed up to carry out God's plan for Judah, we've already seen Daniel and his friends were taken away, young men taken to Babylon. Jeremiah, what happened to him? He had a real different journey than Daniel. He stayed, obviously, to the end of the siege, saw the carnage that was left, after the siege and after Jerusalem fell. Jeremiah ended up in Egypt, eventually. And he was killed by his countrymen. The country he wept for executed him. And God was good. Six hundred years later, Jesus would look out over Jerusalem. What did he do? He lamented. Remember what he said? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and those who are sent to it. How often I have, how often would I have gathered your children together? as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. And Jesus would be executed by his people. The people he wept for. Just like Jeremiah. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. And we'll sing a song uh, together as we, uh, as we close this morning. You know, only God knows if it's too late for America, if she will be willing to repent. But we've got to ask the question in the room today, are we willing as individuals to repent? God is ready to gather you and gather me in his mercy his faithfulness love and goodness forever God is faithful forever God is strong forever God is with us his love endures forever